Hey, Obsassinax, it's Chelsea back for another episode of The Sassanac Files. This week, I'm discussing all things Jamie Fraser with my friend Angela Hickey from Outlander Cast Clan Book Club and Queen Bee's Hive on Patreon. But before we get into that, I want to take a moment to remind you that you can find The Sassanac Files on all sorts of listening platforms, including iTunes, CastBox, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, iHeartRadio, and many more. Also, if you have not had a chance yet, make sure you head over to follow The Sassanac Files on both Facebook and Instagram to make sure you are up to date on all of the latest and greatest news concerning Outlander Season 7 and anything Diana Gabaldon cooks up. And with all of that out of the way, let's get into my character analysis with Angela on Jamie Fraser. Enjoy! few housekeeping details before Angela comes on. Next weekend, I am off because I will be on vacation. A week after that, I'm doing my Droughtlander Book Club, my first edition of Droughtlander Book Club with The Ruby Roach by Katherine Lowry Logan. I'm hard at work, as you can see. Hope you'll join me. That's going to be Sunday, June 26th at 4 p.m. Eastern time. And we're just going to, we're going to just have a nice little chat about what we liked, what we didn't like about the book, plot points, historical references, character analysis, all the good stuff that you come to expect from the Sassanac Files. So I hope you'll join me there for that. I'm a little bit iffy on the timeline for when I'm going to get into season six, uh, depending on life stuff. I may have a week break between book club and when I start season six analysis, or I may just go straight into it. I haven't fully decided yet. So that'll kind of probably be a spur of the moment thing, to be honest. Hi, everyone. This is Angela Hickey from Outlander Cast Clan Book Club and Queen Bee's Hive on Patreon. If you want to give your little on what you do on uh, on those pages. I teach live book clubs on Outlander books and novellas on Outlander Cast Clan Book Club. We just actually are starting Drums of Autumn. I, I We've literally just done one chapter and the prologue and the intro. So it's a great time to jump in if you want to jump in on that study. We do deep dive looks at the books. And then on my Queen Bee's Hive Patreon page, which is www.patreon.com. Queen Bee's Hive. I, I got you it. Can, thank link. you, sweetheart. I thought ahead of time this time. Because <laughs> I'm, like, I'm, yeah, I'm so frozen here. I have like a whole smorgasbord of stuff going on there. Everything from a turn watch that's beginning at the end of the month. The show Turn, America's First Firing. We're going to be watching all four seasons of that um, and doing discussions on it. We're going to be doing Vanished Days, which is about Scotland in 1707 in um, August. We're doing a live tour of a tour of Edinburgh virtually in July. And in between, we have, you know, reactions to these mm-hmm. chapters. There's my husband and I watching the episodes and just kind of like kind of talking and reacting as we watch, which is kind of funny because my husband, you know, I'm more the critic and the one that evaluates. And he's just the one that says, you know, raunchy things. <laughs> we watch (laughs) um so and i also have an interview that i did with diana clips of that so it's really kind of a smorgasbord if you love all things diana gabaldone and her world so that's queen bee's hive and so i'd love to have you join us it would be um i would greatly appreciate the support and 
um, I think you'd have a lot of fun. Most of the people here are also um, members there. So you kind of know some of the people and some of the names um, in the comments. And there's a lot of good, great commentary that goes on there too. So thanks for giving me the space. I actually had somebody message me like privately on Facebook the other day. And they're like, um, I've listened to all your podcasts. And I'm just wondering if there's anywhere that I can go to get like a similar thing for the books. And I was like, whoa, let me tell you Aww. about this little place called... <laughs> Oh, did you really? I love you. (laughs) So yeah, so hopefully they loved it. And hopefully Hopefully. you have a new Hiver. So we're going to get into this character analysis thing. And as I was telling Angela, I'm kind of regretting not making this a two-parter because there's so much (laughs) to talk about. You know, we're in, we're six seasons deep now with one of our favorite characters, Jamie. So the series is about him and Claire, their forefront. So naturally there's more to discuss, right? Than there is with some of our uh, secondary characters. So um, we're the king of men for a reason. He's the king of men for a reason. Yes. (laughs) Um, So we're going to try to cover as much stuff as possible today. If there is something that does not get discussed that you would like to discuss. I did post some like prompt questions and some of the various topics that we're going to be discussing today in the event. So if you had a chance to look at those and you had thoughts on those, please feel free to drop them your comments in the comments as we go. But yeah, this is basically just a space for us to discuss Jamie as a character, what makes him tick, his history, his relationship with other characters, and how that affects the structure of the story, I guess. So we're just going to talk about where Jamie comes from, his family, kind of. That's the actually where I have the most information laid yeah, out here because I of, started out so ambitious and then I kind of said, wow, there's a lot of stuff here. I got to fill in. <laughs> and I basically just didn't fill in anything. I'm just like, I'll just mm. go where the wind blows me. Like, Well, that's good because the ba- little back part is me going to wing it as well. So. <laughs> Um, this was a big outline, yo. It was a big outline. It's like two. And then I added like... to it just to kind of piss her <laughs> off even more. <laughs> Wait a minute, we're missing a chunk. She's like, oh, I was already very long. I'm like, thanks, as if I wasn't feeling overwhelmed. <laughs> Let's add like three more topics. <laughs> well, he All is right. the leading so... man, and this is a big you know, long running season. There's a lot of crap that happened to Jamie Fraser. Like, I feel like maybe more than any other character. Yes, I mean, how good thing he has those nine lives because he's going to need every blessed one of them. I know. (laughs) Diana's going to take every little bit she can get out of it for those nine lives. All right, so we're going to kind of start out with just some background information. Things that the show may not have really dived into a lot, but that is critical to your understanding of him as a character. So do you want to talk a little bit about maybe his relationship with his parents or his siblings? The first thing that I wanted to bring out before we get into like the, the subcategories there mm-hmm. is a big motivating factor in Jamie Fraser's from his roots, I'd say, mm-hmm. um, is his faith. And I didn't really kind of see that nodded to anywhere. So I kind of throwing it up top is that he is what they call Celtic Christian. It's a very vibrant part of who Jamie is. And he's raised that way in the Highlands with the Celtic Christian culture, which means that 
it infuses a lot of this like mysticism in the midst with your saints and your Catholicism and all that. But Jamie Fraser is a fervent person of faith. And that also is a big driver in a lot of who he is, especially as he gets older as well. So that's kind of a base already. That's a, it's a big influence. If you're going to talk about, you know, what influences him. Mm -hmm. So then you have his parents and Jenny. So I kind of went through his, his influences as a child. And I started out with Willie because Willie is like, he idolized Willie and um, his Willie was his brother, his older brother that died of smallpox and he died when Jamie was six. And so for Jamie, Willie was like everything he was idolized. And so when he died, it really hit him very bad. It put the mantle of Laird and leader on his shoulders because he wasn't supposed to be that. You know, he kind of fell into it with the death of his brother. He's always thinking online of hoping he's making Willie proud, hoping that Willie would have done the same thing in his shoes. You kind of see him referencing that a lot in his internal dialogue. It's also how Ian, Big Ian, becomes his blood brother. And so that also has a big impact. You know, Ian, as he grew up with Ian as a blood brother, and it was very important to Jamie. He became his trusted confidant which is a vi- very vital thing for Jamie as a leader and a role that Roger eventually becomes for Jamie in the future. So kind of like his consigliere, you know, I always yeah. call it. So, <laughs> And that's just his brother. Um, and then I have his mother. I don't know if you want me to just yeah. keep saying, or do you well, want to say? I'll jump in. Um, okay. I, yeah. Willie, I realized when I was looking at this, that I just kind of put Jenny, I probably should have just put siblings, but um, yeah, I feel like, Jamie's relationship to Willie is kind of very understated. Jamie's relationship with Willie, I think, is is pretty important to to who we see on the screen, but it's not necessarily something that they throw in your face, if that makes sense. Like, because like you mentioned, Jamie wasn't raised to be the person that he actually he wasn't ends born up being. to be. He wasn't he was, born. Yeah, to be. I mean, he wasn't the first six years of his life, right. he just kind of thought. Uh, maybe maybe I'll be a merchant or maybe a soldier or whatever yeah exactly um and William was raised to kind of like very from the beginning was the person that was going to take over Lolly Brock and so he was very much like learn how to do the rents and learn how to deal with all your tenants and learn about this that the other and so when he died not only did Jamie lose his best friend but he also had the weight of this entire new life thrown on his shoulders. And then that progressed into what all his shaping mirror for. Yeah, Everything kind of shifted. And so that changed his whole direction. That's why I wanted to put it in because Mm -hmm. that happening made 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 a pivot for him as a child, you know? Yeah, and at six years old, you're looking at, I think that is a lot of where Jamie's sense of responsibility and feeling the need to shoulder everybody else's burden probably comes from a lot is that he had to do that at a very formative age. And so that's kind of just ingrained in him, even as he gets older, that like that's his role in life, I guess. So whenever we see things happen in future seasons and even, you know, because by the time season one even starts, he's 22 that's something that yeah it's supposed to technically well it changed for the show too but i was going to say it's supposed to be 
like literally he just turned 23 yeah. when she turns up through the stones, you know? Yeah. So he like literally is like fresh 23. Right. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, but I don't even think he's that, you know, in the show thing because she came at a different time of year. So it's right. it's different. So so next I have his mother, Ellen McKenzie, the very fabled kind of she's kind of like this mythic person i can't wait actually for the prequel mm-hmm. to come out which is going to be her and brian's story because all through the books for sure and even in the show she's kind of like this mythical person you know the one everybody wanted she had all the bows you know giving her all kinds of jewelry and you know didn't like pissed off her family by eloping <laughs> with this guy they didn't plan for it etc 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 and so she's kind of like this mythic person um so i always am very kind of fascinated with her so she is the spirited eldest mackenzie sibling greatly adored by jamie jamie adored his mother as well as she and brian's whole merit for love that you know is written in their bible you know that wasn't the norm all the time at that time of course and that was his example was this merit for love was that his family, his parents were a loving couple that fell in love and ran away and got married. And they truly, that was his example. And I think that's important because it's an example for him. You know, that's what he saw as parents, even though she died when he was eight. But the marriage is a bond that I think connects her spirit to him frequently. And her loss when he was eight also severely impacted him and their family. Uh, making a 10-year-old Jenny the mistress of Lollybrock. Their marriage of deep love and closeness served as an atypical marriage in that time period um, and a model for his own marriage of deep love. She was a woman of spirit, as was Jenny. And so having first his mother and then Jenny Mm-hmm. As his kind of female role models kind of prepared him a little bit for Miss Claire. Well, I think <laughs> not I think exactly, even, but a little bit for dealing with a woman that has a, you know, has some gumption yeah. to her. Well, I think that when you look at it like that, I think that may even be partially responsible for why he was so drawn to her. Because mm-hmm. that's those are who his his women of influence have been his entire life. And so he's not afraid of those kind of women. Like he doesn't try to put them in a box like everybody else from that time does. And he can appreciate them and what they can do maybe more so than anybody else. So to look at it from that perspective, I mean, and you mentioned you're excited about the prequel and I really am too, just because. Oh, I really am. Because as much as you guys have seen her alluded to or mentioned in the show, the books have like 10 times that amount of different little nods See, feeling her spirit he frequently feels her spirit around him and so forth and she saved his I mean they mentioned it in the show about her kind of pulling hear him hearing her voice to pull him yeah. in the current when he went to Silky Island all these different things so there is like a a deeper connection with with mm-hmm. Ellen I think he gets some of his dream walking and all that through her side yeah. so you know I think that it's going to be really intriguing to see what she brings to the table in her own book, you know? Yeah. So I'm really excited to see how all the little pieces fall into place when we get the prequel. Yeah. So whenever we're looking at like Ellen and Brian's marriage, and then we look at Jamie and Claire, do you think that, because Claire doesn't really remember her parents. So do you think that Jamie's influence on his, like his parents' marriage influence on him is really kind of like, 
hashtag life goals. Like, you know, like that's what he was striving for, even in the beginning when Claire wasn't totally certain about what she wanted out of their marriage. Like, do you think that that's kind of always what he had in mind? I think that, you know, you get that just from his asking Marta, do you think my mother would have liked him? His telling Claire, you know, my father told me that I would know the person, you know, when I saw them, you know, I would know immediately and all of this type of thing. Like he's always referencing back, if you notice in little ways, the things he learned as a child from watching his parents or the things that they said or that he thinks about would they approve and so forth. So they do have a lot of influence on him. And I think he saw the beauty of their relationship. And I think he wants that. He wanted that for himself. He didn't want to be in a range thing. He wanted, even though it was a range, (laughs) but you know what I'm saying? Like he wanted to be with, I think if he didn't really like her, he wouldn't have agreed to it. You know, you were talking about how Brian mentioned when the right woman for you comes along, like you'll recognize it for what it is Mm -hmm. basically. So seeing how Brian and Ellen had this give and take relationship, right? And Ellen was very much a fiery personality and Brian was much more laid back in that respect. I mean, I still he still had the the Fraser fire, so to speak. Oh, yeah, he but, had the Fraser temper for sure. Right. I mean, that's where yeah. the Fraser temper. I almost get the vibe that like he was the more like mellow of the two of the two, if that makes yeah. sense. Like mm-hmm. um and so I'm wondering, like especially when we get the scene in the reckoning where Jamie comes to Claire and he's like, you know what? I I finally realized something that maybe for us, it has to go a different way. Do you think that that's really Mm -hmm. kind of him thinking about how successful his parents' marriage was because they didn't try to make each other into something that they weren't? Like, I know that they, the show kind of made it seem like it was very much like Colin and Dougal making, making it work, I guess, and like compromising. But I do kind of wonder on a level if it's not more so like him seeing how much of a team, like thinking to how much of a team his parents were. They made a thing on the show about how, how, you know, that was the way his father did it. And that wasn't really in the book that way, that that was said that way. They kind of tried to do that. I think to smooth over the whole spanking scene, you know what I mean? (laughs) To kind of make it like, well, this is how he was raised to do, you know? Um, So, but that really wasn't explicit. And I got a feeling that she would not really tolerate that too much. (laughs) But I mean, I don't know. I, I'm dying to see her because I kind of want to know. But just like we've seen a couple of snippets mm-hmm. and she doesn't seem like nobody to push around either. You right. know, for Brian Fraser, I said he was an incredible man and role model, kind and compassionate, tough, but fair, which I think all of those things also describe Jamie. He taught Jamie his sense of right and wrong and sound judgment, also how to fist fight. Brian put the woman he loved above all, and they both turned their backs on both sides of the family that rejected their marriage in 1715. And it was Brian and Ellen against the world mentality. And that's something that I think Jamie admired. He always like kind of references that with a smile. And he's like, you know, my father loved to tell that story. And, you know, like he kind of relishes this memory. He probably heard it so many times. And so he has that as like a positive influence, you know, and he has a very similar marriage with Claire with the, you know, me and you against the world mentality. So Brian also taught Jamie a sense of temperance and sound judgment. I think I said, taught him how to fist fight saying that he knew his size would make people want to try him, 
which is true. He disciplined one. him in the open, it says as well. Now, this is a couple things in the book, so I, I'm, I'm sorry I kind of wrote it that way. Um, he disciplined him in the open so that the tenants would know that as Laird, he understood what justice is when he became Laird. That's kind of the way he explained it. But it was remarked to him that in Brian's presence, a person felt like if this man was on my side, things would be okay. And I think, how can you better describe Jamie? Like, that's yeah. how you feel about him. If you have this guy backing you up, you're going to be all right. You know, somehow he's going to make it all right. Yeah. And that's how people felt about his father. And I think that was passed him either by learning or by genetics or whatever, modeling. Because you always hear Claire say that. Well, Jamie's here. He'll figure something out. It'll be okay. He'll, yeah. He has he'll come up with a plan, you know. And while stubborn, Brian also knew when to swallow his pride for the greater good. And we saw that when he allowed... Jamie to foster with Dougal and Colin, mm-hmm. even though these people rejected his marriage and all that other stuff, he knew Jamie would learn valuable things from them. And so he allowed him to go ahead and do that, swallow the pride mm-hmm. that would be like, you know, I'm never going to like that. Screw you. You know, you're not going to know your. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. He said, you know what? It's best for him. It's best for my land and my tenants for him to learn what he can from them, you know? And also he learns a little more about his heritage and that side of his heritage. And Brian died seeing Jamie flogged to what he thought was death to his death. And that left Jamie with a tremendous burden of guilt that he carries for a very long time, you know, in that. So, and he still, still does to an extent, you know, but all of that, I think is how his father, you know, has continued influence on him. And, you know, I think, with all of that being said, what you really get from Jamie on screen and by the way he talks about his parents is that anytime anybody says they really would be so proud of the man that he is, like I think that seeing how much that means to Jamie and how close he was with his parents and how high a regard he holds them in, when he hears that, I think that says a lot about who he is as a person that he about how much he really did care so deeply about them and still admires them so much because like there are a couple of times when Claire would say they they would be so proud of the man that you've become or who you are I think that that says a lot about him as and a you also well. see how Jamie always senses their presence both of them he mm-hmm. always at different times will feel his father near him and his mother near him he when he found Atso Actually, mm-hmm. it was when yeah. he had a vibe of his mother near him. Yeah. So, um, you know, I always kind of feel like Atso is kind of a, a symbolic representation of his mother's spirit, you know, around I the was, house. Um, and I think that's that's a very genetic thing, much like the time travel thing is. Like, I think that that mystical side of Jamie is kind of, like you said, inherited from the McKenzie side a little bit, I think. I guess we could talk about that since we're already here. It's on the list a little bit lower. Yeah, down, that's but... what I have on here next. Um, supernatural abilities. Yeah, so <laughs> that's what I have. I don't know what to I call think it. of it the same way. Um, and I even put love them. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's not. So he's not a time traveler. But Jamie does have mystical qualities about him. It's something that I think the show will, will have to touch on a little bit more. As we get into later seasons, um, they haven't really, They there's been a couple of mentions of it. One being in season four, when Jamie has the dream about Brianna and he can like so he, clearly see and her. And he kissed and, her on her birthmark. Yeah. Yes. I don't know whether it was so much like 
a hallucination or if it was one of those moments, but whenever he sees Claire on Culloden in the battle joint, I kind of took mm-hmm. that as a nod to, and then, and then he does it again in season six, whenever he's being flogged at Ardsmere. So I do kind of take those as nods to like his spiritual connection to other people through time and space. So he can't actually go through the stones, but in a way he is with those that he loves even if he can't right. physically I, be I, with them. I call it dreamwalking. Yeah. Kind of like astral projection or whatever. I believe my feeling is that when he is asleep, his spirit kind of can leave his body and travel through time in that way. But not physically, not his corporal self, you know? Yeah. And so in that way, you know, we see that happen. And I don't want to get around spoilers either, but we see that happen more as time goes by. Multiple times, I, yes. I kind of feel like, that's something kind of like Claire's powers are going to increase as she gets older. I kind yeah. of feel like as Jamie gets older, they increase as well. His abilities, you know, and I think mm-hmm. he gets a lot of that from the Mackenzie side, because mm-hmm. I think that Roger has some of that as well. Yeah. Uh, not that, not the dream walking, but the spirit, the spirit, the spirit, a, the, the spirit awareness of spirits mm-hmm. and presences around him and sensory elements, you know, to him. Yeah. So I mean, I think, until, you know, it's a very I, gifted family. We have a very yeah, gifted family here. I just, I <laughs> they got all kinds of special voodoo, you know, going on. Yeah, I find it fascinating that even I, I feel like the one that obviously gets the most screen time is the time travel. But I find it fascinating that even the people that can't time travel, they still have some sort of connection with with the greater world as a whole and like you see it with Jenny whenever she sees Claire's shade uh between Leary and Jamie when they get Another married one. yep so that tells me that it's it's not just Jamie you know like it's something in the family going down and then you see um Brianna's spirit come through in the season three finale when they're all uh gathered around the fire at the voodoo mm-hmm. ritual or whatever that's a big one yep I like it. Like I like it's it's very understated at this point in time. So I'm anxious to see where it's gonna the thing go. Is, though, on the show, Tony's very anti that. I know. And so I don't I think they try to downplay it, which is gonna get harder for them it's, to do. Yeah. I don't know why, you know, we're not a sci-fi show. I'm thinking, hello, you time travel. <laughs> but you are <laughs> <laughs> you know, like you can say that all you want, but your show is based on time travel, therefore there are well, yeah, we just do that to get in the past, but you're not really that. Like, okay, lady, keep saying that to yourself. You know, that's only going to get more. That's somebody that hasn't read ahead, so they don't know that this gets more so, you know? Yeah. Um, but, you know, we kind of just chuckle when she says that. But <laughs> that's true. It's true. You know, all of these people's powers increase, you know, including Claire, including everybody, Brie, the kids, everybody, you know? So it's kind of, you're not going to get away from powers. Right. <laughs> You know, and abilities. I think that um, going back to what you first mentioned about Jamie and his Celtic Christianity beliefs, I think that that also kind of interweaves nicely with his connection to the earth. Like when he first finds Fraser's Ridge, like it's because, isn't that the same scene that he finds Adzo? Or is that different? It's a different scene. Yeah, because that's in the Fiery Cross. Yeah, this is Um, season five. He finds Adzo. But it's a similar moment of like, almost a come to Jesus moment. Like it's a very connected with the world as a whole. And he has this moment of just being like, this is the place. Like this, it's one. Right. Of- and he, and he thinks it's a sign. 
because he finds strawberries and it's a symbol of the Fraser's clan. And so he feels like, okay, that's somehow a sign to me. That's a very Celtic Christian thing to think, you know, because you find a strawberry on the ground. I'm home, you know, (laughs) I have found a strawberry. I am supposed to be here, you know, so. I mean, that's a lot of weight on a strawberry. That's a lot of weight on a, on a strawberry. <laughs> I <laughs> All mean, the yeah. crap that happened on that land here for the rest it's of the that time. that damn strawberry, strawberry did it, you know. Um, but you have that. And then there's this whole thing where he said, I don't know if you understand what it is to have the need of a place. Yeah, I think it You know, was, and he yeah. goes to this whole thing about, he says, if I am to be a man, I must have a mountain. And that kind of gets to like the thing you said, because we jumped around the thing about what made him make the choice or whatever. But another thing that he, that gets to the whole land thing, you see him often have his, where he can memorize a space. It's one of those places that hit him in a way yeah, and kind of imprint. Yeah. yeah. Imprint on his mind. Mm-hmm. He remembers everything. He smells almost, almost like a, um, I did it. I think, I think that's something like yeah. that where, where you remember you, it, the smell, like every, all the yeah, senses yeah. around a memory, including the vision. So it's not just photographic, but it's like the whole encompassing thing, you know, of the smell, the, what you heard, all of that. That's the kind of thing that he has. He has that ability to like freeze frame a site and, and Willie ends up having that too, spoiler alert. <laughs> so, you know, you can't, you see that also inherited in him some of these things. So yeah. it's kind of really interesting. He has a lot of very cool elements to his mysticism. And the, like I said, the dreams is very cool. His connection to spirits is very cool. And then if you get into the Lord John books eventually and all that stuff, you'll find out other things that come to be experiences like that he's had. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. it gets even more. So, you know, there's there's a lot out there that has not been told on the show that exists for Jamie Fraser's because they don't like, because they stuff. like to stay away from the mystical <clears throat> side of the story. So we get a very washed down version of the supernatural. Iodetic. Lucy says that's Iodetic. Called. Iodetic. When you think about the fact that Jamie can freeze a moment in his mind and then you you just know that like in all those years that he was in prison and in the caves and things like that, like he could just retreat back into his mind and relive some of the, the most happiest times in his life because he has that ability. Like, it's just, I think it's really cool. Let's see. We talked about it. You also family. have here about his nine lives and they're the same bullet point. Did you want to talk yeah, about we that? We can talk all? about that. Um, well, I mean, it's under the same thing. So, I mean, I think that that kind of is. How many are left? Like three? <laughs> He, he better slow his roll. <laughs> I was That's all I gotta it. say. Like, and then in the show, they mentioned his back, and I'm like, that never even happened in the show. So no, they're talking about the flogging. Oh, okay. when he was nearly flogged to death. That's okay. what they're talking so about. He has more lives left in the show than he does in the books at this point. <laughs> well, yeah, because we're further ahead in the books. Yeah, <laughs> there's more. There's more close calls to come, people. Yeah, right. <laughs> Hold your Hold your butts. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, we're yeah, coming. There was for I don't know. Um, this is gonna have season six stuff in it. So for those of you that have only watched as far as you can watch on Netflix, there's probably gonna be a bit of spoilers for you. But we are covering everything that the show has covered in the season six finale. They mention an experience that Jamie had while he was in France, um, where a fortune teller basically told him that he's a cat and he has nine lives 
which goes a long way towards explaining all of these close calls that he's had. But um, also I think adds a whole other layer of mysticism around him. There's so many layers to him. I'm like, we've been on for almost an hour now and we've only hit like the first. (laughs) I really, (laughs) and I'm thinking, you know, we didn't even do all the, we jumped ahead of all this other stuff that I sat here writing all these notes for. Um, We'll get back to it. I don't know if we are going to, Chelsea. I think I think you may have to do another part to this. I think we probably are. It's not going to be yes. anytime soon, but we probably will. <laughs> <laughs> so Jamie's nine lives and how, do you feel like almost at this point, he's been through so many close calls that like, I almost feel like he takes unnecessary risks sometimes. I don't know if that's how everybody feels, but oh. I just... Yeah, man, he scares me. Well, the thing the thing that's funny about that, I love how you know, and you see all this uh, too when you read the book, is how he's always trying to bargain and not count things. (laughs) I just think that's hilarious when he does that. He's like, "Well, you can't count that," you know, because he doesn't want his lives to disappear too fast. Jenny drugged me through that, and Claire (laughs) pulled me through this. I didn't have a choice in any of that, so those don't count. (laughs) (laughs) You can't count it. That doesn't count. Oh, I oh no, I wouldn't have died there, you know. I wasn't gonna you were die. Closer to dying there than I was. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you don't count that. It oh. cracks me up. Like he's <laughs> bargaining for his lives. As if that's gonna matter in the grand scheme of things. Like, yeah, because <laughs> that's what we're really measuring by. How many I could see him get to heaven one day and being like, "You gypped me." <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, you screwed me out of a life that didn't count. I was gonna survive that. I can just picture Jamie Fraser standing in front of the Lord and being like, I only counted eight lives, man. Send yeah, you know, send me back. I got more to do. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of all I just wanted to mention with the nine lives was I thought that that just kind of was an extra layer to all of that. And I feel like as far as the supernatural elements of Jamie's character, I feel like we can only really scratch the surface of it because most of that stuff happens in like books that the show hasn't covered yet so mm-hmm. i don't know that's, that's true do you feel that do you feel that way because i kind of do well, I, feel I like... just feel like they've taken a lot of those those times for even just the sense of spirit and stuff mm-hmm. i was actually shocked the only i think the only reason they did it was because it involved jamie having a naked chest showing when he did the whole blessing in the creek <laughs> and called on Google <laughs> to come and help him I was actually shocked they included. And then I said, well, wait a minute. We, you know, we're getting half naked Jamie. That's why they included it. Not because they want to like nod to faith or nod to, nod to yeah. spirituality or nod to ghosts. It's because <laughs> Jamie Fraser is wet and naked in a stream. <laughs> right. I feel so bad for Sam. It's going to appeal to the, to the power woman or whatever it is. The premium yeah, woman. The premium woman. Uh, so. Jesus. That whole thing led well, like what belonged kind of with his formative years, because it does have a lot to do with where he comes from and his uh-huh. beliefs. And I feel like almost that that certain connection with Earth and like this just bland acceptance of all things outside of the norm helps him in his acceptance of Claire as well, because, you know, if I can believe that XYZ is related to some higher power that I can't see, then who am I to tell this woman that she didn't really travel through time, you know, Mm -hmm. like, so I I do feel like that's inherently connected. 
I guess, in like his acceptance of Claire and just time travel in general, because it's not really that big of a leap when you're already so connected to the spiritual side of life. So, so um, let's talk you wanna... about his extended family a little bit, because I think that they really affected him just Big as time. much as his parents did, honestly. Big time. With, yeah, with how much, who he is, especially once we get to like season five and six, whenever he's he's balancing the political side of things and also like running the ridge, essentially, and being in charge of all these people being a laird and like having to try to keep as many people happy as possible and and juggle all these things that he's juggling. I feel like Dougal and Colm, you can definitely see their influence in him. Yeah. And I have like he learned how to be a warrior from Dougal mm -hmm. and he learned how to be a keen strategist and clan leader from Colm of a laird or a major clan and knowing how to negotiate all the different components of that. And it was also here where he had his first exposure, no pun intended, from unwanted advances from a man, you know, through Sandringham. And remember that made him leave Leoc when he was like 16, 17 and return home, you know? Yeah. Um, so it, it kind of gave him the, like, so that when the thing happened with BJR, at least like it wasn't completely like he knew at least what the hell he was talking about. Like he'd been there, done that, bought the t-shirt and managed to yeah. escape. And so that kind of like paved the way a little to what ends up happening down the road, you know? Mm -hmm. Also though, the whole idea of learning how to strategize from Colin, who was a wicked good strategist, you know? So he learned all the different sides between those two brothers. And I think Brian knew that Brian was the one that always would say, you know, I feel sorry for Dougal when when Colin dies because he's going to be lost without that other side. Like he knew their strengths. And yes. so he knew one would really teach him to be a good swordsman. He's left-handed like Jamie. He learned how to fight with his left, you know, how to swordsman with his left hand through Dougal. And so all of that stuff is things he acquired to become the warrior, you know, with Dougal and to become the strategy person that he becomes through Colin. So those were things that prepared him as well, I think. It's just so interesting to talk about all of these influences. All these layers being built, you know? Yeah, because you really do. And that's why we wanted to talk about some of this background information, because you're really starting to build a picture of what made Jamie who he is. Without one of these people, he doesn't end up being the same version of himself that exactly. he is. Because you've got Brian, who taught him the value of patience and, mm -hmm. you know, quiet strength almost. You've mm -hmm. got Colin who did was physically disabled for most of his life and had to learn to get by on his cunning. And you had mm -hmm. Dougal who was a man of blood, much like Jamie ends up being at several parts of his life. So that unique combination of life experience is what and neither one of Jamie... them had the other, but Jamie yeah. had both and got each nurtured through exactly. both of them the foresight that Brian had to understand that, that mm -hmm. to give Jamie his best shot at life, this is the experiences that he had to have. It just gives you a whole other appreciation for it. Right. And it shows just such an emotional maturity on Brian's yeah. part, mm -hmm. you know, because had his wife lived, he could have learned a little bit about the McKenzie's through her. Not that he yeah. would have learned all the skills, but he would have learned that heritage from her, yeah. you know, where he didn't, you know, Brian, Brian's not going to be like, give him all that mm -hmm. so it's kind of like he wanted him to have that part of his heritage and family yeah. which i gotta admire him for that because like yeah. these people you know wanted to kill his ass when he 
<laughs> run off with Ellen, you know? So it's not something now. Now, of course, the old fox is a different story. You know, he wanted nothing to do with him. That's a heck of a heck of a story. I'm so excited to see it unfold. And here we're only at 17, 18 years old, like 17, not even 18. yet. And look at all the layers of influence, you know, and then we get into Paris, you know, and so that's like, that's a whole nother layer. So here's where the show diverges a little bit because they try to downplay Jamie's education for the show because they were trying to elevate Claire to be the one that was so far above him in education. And so he had a tutor rather than going to university. But Jamie Fraser went to university in Paris for a year when he was 18. And that place is where he learned all his arts and culture and languages and philosophy and Greek and Latin and all these different things. Wasn't from the tutor. (laughs) It was from university in Paris. He lived with Jared. That's where he learned the wine business a little bit while he was living with Jared. And it was at this time that shaped the cultured side of Jamie Fraser, the side that allowed him to then move in circles that he does in Paris, as well as the higher society circles, you know, later on as he's on the ridge and different things and has to deal with governors and higher people. It made him be able to become that man of worth, that well-rounded person that can move in any kind of circle, you know? And this is where he, he came home a year later because he was feeling spurned by one Annalise de Marillac. And that's also while he was in Paris in school was when he got the Nine Lives Prophecy. I think it's Roger that in the books, he has a thought where he said that's one of the most noticeable qualities about Jamie and also Claire is that they can literally walk up to anyone and have a valuable conversation with them. Absolutely. And that's really where- He's kind of a chameleon like that in a way. I think that that is one of the biggest issues that you run into even today is that Mm -hmm. people kind of, they're, they're in their own circles, right? And you don't necessarily feel comfortable having relationships with people that don't fit into your same like bubble. I guess. And so those stepping outside of your comfort zone is when you start to have an appreciation for the world as a whole. And you can really see how things operate and why things are the way they are and what needs to change. And so Jamie going to Paris and experiencing all of that before. He's exposed to things that you never get exposed to in the Highlands. Like he said, most of these people have never been five minutes, five miles from where they grew up or were born. And here you have Jamie by having that experience, he gets this cosmopolitan experience where he gets this different sense of culture and a different entire way of life. You know, Paris is a very different way of life with the salons and the and the musicals and all the other different things that happen. And so when he had to go back in Dragonfly and Amber, it was a completely foreign ground to him. Like he knew this. He knew this area. He knew this life, you know, mm-hmm. which it's kind of like almost he wouldn't have done that if he didn't go like that was part of why he was so comfortable in that environment Mm -hmm. so that's why going to jared in france when they were looking for sanctuary after the events of wentworth that was such a viable option and that's why it was the first choice because Mm -hmm. he already knew people there he had certain circles that he he already had connections and he had a place to exactly. go in a life that wasn't completely just starting from scratch so yeah that definitely had bearing on on the future of the story as well so blogging at fort william this was 
the big major first turn mm-hmm. for Jamie, like big turn downward t- for Jamie. It was almost um, like everything before this was creating who he was. And then the flogging at Fort William was like the first ginormous hurdle where everything that he had built up to in his life, he had to look like reflect inward and find out how who he was is going to help him get past this next step like it's where all of that comes to a head for the first time I feel like yes it's also like part of what makes a strong character and I know you being a writer as well you're aware of this but what makes a strong character is you have to give them adversity you know what I mean you have to you have to give them knockdowns for them to build that strength as they come back up and so this was this big first major knockdown you know, was it the little breakup with Annalise or any of this other stuff? It was, this was like huge. And decisions that he made that were made that day, haunting for life. You know, it was when he meets, first meets true evil personified, you know, and he blames himself for his father's death. You know, I should have just went along with it. It's almost very Fergus-like. You know, I should have just went along with it because had I done that, I wouldn't have been flogged, which wouldn't have made my father see me like that, which would, you know, like he starts to catapult all of these different blames to himself, mm-hmm. you know, because he you let his pride take over, you know, and it turns into this is where like his his character starts to really emerge from all of this that happens to him and his spirit really starts to emerge underneath of all of the prep, you know, that has mm-hmm. happened. And you see, this is where he gets all his back scars. And Diana in the books uses scarring really for all of them to mark major moments in the books. So that when when you run across those scars as you're reading the books, it triggers the memory. It brings you back like a touch point into that event that caused that scar. So if you notice, all of the different major moments have attached to it a scar so that as you like, even the hand cutting that's missing from the show is a scar that ends up bringing a moment back to them. You know, the the cutting of the brand that left that scar, you know, is a mark of that moment. So you see this all the way along. And so this is that first major scarring, you know, that occurs that he carries through life. It becomes like an identity point for him for life from this event. And it's because it's such a major event, you know, for his life. And it just puts everything into a spiral from yep. there, you know, and all of the different like fallout and domino effect that comes mm-hmm. from that, you know, and the, the misleading that happens and him having to escape to France to become a soldier and all the different things that occur as a result of that his father dying, him blaming himself for that, that keeping him from Lollybrock, which lets him think that, you know, for Dutch Duval tell him a lie about it. So all the different things, you know, mm-hmm. um, and it leads to a lot of a major turn in his whole trajectory here. So it was a major moment. And it definitely had an impact and shaped him. I did have a thought. And it makes were... him a marked criminal. It changes him yes. from changes man of worth his identity. His actual... <laughs> to a man of worth because he has a price on his yeah. head. His actual <laughs> literal identity. Like it changes it. And that's mm-hmm. that's kind of interesting as well because it changes how he thinks of and perceives himself, but it actually changes and perceives how other people see him as well. So it's very interesting that that's all kind of worked into one massive event for this character. Um, And it also made me think because of Jamie refusing Blackjack at Fort William and kind of in direct correlation in his head, he was flogged and his father died. Do you think that 
when what we see because we see that at the very beginning of season one and then we come to the end of season one and once again he's faced with this monumental decision of Mm -hmm. okay i can refuse him and we all know what happened the last time or i can give him what he wants and claire walks free that has to be in the back of his mind you know like he's not going to make that same mistake again exactly Um, i mean a lot of people they see the surface level of it and like okay yeah like he's making a snap decision because it's either that or blackjack kills claire right in front of his face but it's also a more deeply ingrained thing that goes back to the history of this character as well here's another thing to consider from that when you think about that he refused him and took those that blogging instead to almost Mm -hmm. near death that just made Blackjack Randall target him more. You oh, know? Yeah. That now has made him the unreachable prize. You know what I mean? Like the thing, the conquest. Yeah. Had he given in that day, you know, and like went for the bargain, it would have he would have been off BJR's yeah. radar. All of the other things that happened probably wouldn't have happened. He yeah. wouldn't have been after him. He wouldn't have like kept, you know, looking for opportunities to have the thing that the one that got away, you know, type of thing. Yeah. Um, so it kind of changed that trajectory as well. It kind of led to Wentworth and all of those things, you know, mm-hmm. and all the other things that happened from the whole Blackjack Randall yeah, for sure. thing. Um, so Janine says, my book knowledge is filling in the show blanks. I don't remember the tutor being his only education. Yeah, I didn't either. Janine, Angela pointed that out to me and I'm like, yeah, my book knowledge is like, okay, this is another instance of my book information informing my viewer experience. <laughs> Right. I mean, you didn't read the books until you watched the show a couple times, like a little um, bit, right? So you didn't know we went to university, did you? And we didn't think it was plausible, Tony said. (laughs) I read the first book before I watched the first season. So I always had that. Oh, oh, okay. I was like, yeah, I was like, it never really like. I never really thought anything of it, but yeah, that's why, because I read the first book before. I oh, okay. I didn't realize. I thought you yeah. watched an episode, then went back and read the book. That's she how I did season two. Joanne says she loves all the magical abilities of all the characters. And Kathy said to that, that she does too. It's one of her favorite parts and they are missing the magic in the show in a lot of ways. So that yeah. they are because they try to downplay that. Okay. So after the thing happens, he's a marked criminal with a price on his head. He makes an escape to France. And this is where he goes and he soldiers with Ian for a bit in France. And it's during this time, see, like you can kind of see each thing, like you said, building him. You know, he's already like devastated while he's there thinking that his father's dead because of all the other things. But while he's there, it's during that time that Jamie learns true soldiering and military structure rather than just Highland charges and and Highland type of fighting. He learned structured soldiering um, mm-hmm. while he's in France. And this adds to that pot that makes Jamie the king of men, the warrior, the be, to be able to be a general and to be a corporal and or cap, you know, a colonel. Colonel and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. yeah, and all that stuff. Because that's not something, you know, as a Highlander, he would have had that skill. But when he comes and he's trying to teach in the show, you see him trying to teach, you're going to face Englishmen. I've faced it. I know what it's like. And the first time, I, like, he's able to impart that because he had been in France and saw that there. Um, it's also the time when you see him exposed to a lot of the grittier side of soldiers and life and actions. We kind of see this, it, you know, a little bit 
spoiler alert with Willie too, you know, he gets that shock where you kind of have idealism, but then you see the reality of like the type of horrible things that soldiers can do and that life can make you have like whatever, less of a moral compass, you know, you know, he goes to that for a little bit. And so that all builds that military ability and skill that he has, as well as just a natural sword skill, the ability of military. Yeah, and when you get to season two, when Jamie's fighting for the Jacobites and everything, I think that, I mean, a lot of times you've got like Lord George and um, all of those that kind of look down on Jamie. He's constantly being like, no, why don't we look at doing this strategy over here? Because that's a terrible idea. (laughs) (laughs) And I think they look down on him a little bit because maybe they don't understand that about him. I mean, a lot of times with with the lower ranking officers, they don't have the same military experience that Jamie has. And mm-hmm. so they might not understand that, oh, you know, maybe his ideas do have a little bit of merit. They're just seeing him as a, as a junior officer and go away, you know, like leave the decisions to the big boys. You would think that like... They they have the ability to influence the future in some respects, but it's just not, I guess. I don't know. Um, that's just like the viewer slash reader in me. Like, how can how can they have all this knowledge and it not affect anything? Like it's just it's it's crazy. But yeah. It's also interesting because while he is a soldier in France, and if you read the, the not novella Virgins, I'm not gonna give the whole thing away, mm-hmm. but he witnesses something that happens to a girl that he feels like he was responsible for in some way he he could have prevented or he maybe somehow was the cause in some way and he feels like he didn't save her when he should have saved her that haunts him as well later on he says that that was one of the motivations of why it was so important to him to protect Claire was because he felt he owed a life and he felt like if he couldn't protect that girl in France, he was going to try to make it up by protecting this this last that is out of her way. And among all these people that like are trying to be bad to her, yep. he's going to make sure he protects her as a way to give back the person he couldn't protect, you know, mm-hmm. protect as a way to make up for that, that like to God or whatever. Yeah. And so that was his initial thought on it before he like totally fell over, head over heels and all that stuff. But <laughs> that was his initial thought was to kind of, because it's something that happened to yeah. him in France Even and he felt like he failed. Bit. Yes. Yeah. And so I always thought that was kind of neat, you know? Mm-hmm. And then he's like, you know, when he's thinking about that, he says, I would have taken you either way, you know, like he, <laughs> he kind of afterwards, he kind of says that, but then like initially that was what his motivation was. And I thought that was interesting. You know, another thing back then kind of was the impetus that made him want to protect Claire. Yeah, something that had nothing to do with Claire whatsoever impacted Mm -hmm. Jamie that much that the next time it came around to anything even close to that, he had that little niggling thought in the back of his head that I kind of last time I did act and I let it go and I ended up feeling like I could have prevented something. Yes. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, Jamie is a person that does feel a lot of regret when he feels at fault for something, you know, he carries that guilt. And you see that with all of these things that happened. It's interesting because, you know, I'm reading the Ruby brooch and there's a line from one of the characters in there. And it says you hold yourself to an impossible standard and then blame yourself for falling short. 
And I'm like, God, if that is not some of the most epic characters in literature, like just holding yes. themselves up here. And then when they can't get here, it's just like they failed everybody and everything they ever stood for. Like it's right. like the end of the world. So I, yeah, I feel like that's that's a pretty apt description of Jamie, honestly. Like he's constantly holding himself to a higher standard than, yes. than everybody else. And he never thinks as high of himself as what he is. Like, he yeah. always thinks, Extremely I'm not a good man. I'm, yeah, like, you yeah. know, he, he like, and I think that's one of, one of your questions was, how did everything that happened at Wentworth affect him long term? Yeah. And I think it affected his self-image. It, that's what, it, oh, that's yeah. what I kind of put down for that. But anyway, we're not there yet. But anyway, when he okay. comes back from France, he doesn't want to go to Lollybrock because of, he's mm-hmm. on the run and all that right. stuff. And plus what happened, what he thinks he knows. He ends up traveling with a group of broken men that are all people that basically don't have a clan or either they're wanted or basically kind of living hand to mouth. This is where he meets Hugh Monroe and all of those people that basically are like the lower classes of people, you right. know, that don't have a home and they're kind of wanderers. He travels with them. And I think that part of it teaches Jamie survival and how to connect with and understand every walk of life, like you were saying, from Mm -hmm. society elite to soldier to Highland clans to prisoners to broken homeless men. You know what I mean? Like he is able then to be able to connect with a lot of different people and get on their level and understand their needs and be able to have emotional intelligence to connect with all these different people, which ends up benefiting him when he has to build the ridge and everything else, because you're going to walk, run into all kinds of types, you know, well, and you've got to be able to deal with it. And that kind of reputation precedes him throughout his life from that moment on, because even in America, once he gets there, when he meets Governor Tryon and he's thinking about and he signs his land grant, Governor mm-hmm. Tryon says, I gather that you've supped with princes and paupers. It's said that the Scottish Highlander has much in common with the uh, Indian savage. Do you believe that's so? And like, it's just, that's part of his reputation that, oh, this guy can talk to anybody about anything and he'll just, you know, like he, he's been around, he's been around a few times. He's been around and back and around and back. Yeah. And it's crazy <laughs> that like the governor of the colony of North Carolina would know this about Jamie. It's, yeah. it's so interesting. And then he has the thing with, he gets hit in the head with the ax or whatever yeah. and has to go back. And that at that point, and at this point, he's like 22. And at that point, he is loses his ability to hear music, but he's also in a monastery for like months on end healing with all of these brothers, you know, and all of these priests and everything, his uncle and all that. I feel like that just kind of brought in because he always talks about how when he didn't have anything else to do, but learn more about the saints and about faith and about all this other stuff. So that just kind of deepened all of his spirituality while he was there as well. Before he comes back, runs into Dougal, which then it can leads into Claire. That's when he meets Claire. So all of that, yep. you know, um, has happened before he meets Claire, this young, you know, 23 yeah. year old kid, young guy, already had all of those layers of things yes. in his in his arsenal. Yeah. Most people aren't even like don't even have their crap together, you know, <laughs> just yeah. you know, just kind of like doing nothing. When you think about everything, he was 23 years old. And had happened to him. It's just, a lifetime. As you know? sitting here talking about, and he was only 22 years old, and I'm like, Jesus. Like, <laughs> I was, I was and I haven't had like a third of that happen to me. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh 
god. And that's why, you know, when people say, well, you know, like, who the hell was he? And how does he know these things? People, first of all, people just naturally grew up younger in, the, yep. in that time mm-hmm. period. You know what I mean? Like, you know, you see, they are already kind of starting to try to, well, not on the show as much, but yeah. trying to teach Jemmy little things about, like, when he was, like, five and six years old, teaching him how to skin things and do things that normal, you know, yeah. normal five and six-year-olds don't do, you know? Yes. Um, but, hey, I learned it when I was his age. You know, that's kind of Jamie's philosophy. I had to know these things, and he's Oh, the oldest son. That's the um, way they think of it. Don Jacques says, maybe off topic, but one of my constant nagging questions about Jamie I'm so confused about is season one, episode one, when the Frank ghost. sees someone standing and staring at Claire, was that Jamie's ghost? Yes. Or question mark? Because Claire hadn't yet gone through Craig Nadoon. I'm so confused by that. So we don't have full answers, but we do know for sure that, yes, it was Jamie's ghost. We don't know for sure why or the circumstances. And it was actually his ghost, not his, because it's been brought up. Maybe he was dreamwalking or whatever. And she said, no, it was his ghost. Yes, it's his ghost. You know, it's his ghost. Yeah, it's not one of these moments where, yeah, like Angela said, he has a dream and he's visiting someone in his dream. It is his ghost. And we will not have the answers to that until the end of the last book. I'm thinking it's going to probably be like an epilogue deal. I think so, too. Because it's kind of written as its own separate thing. Yeah, like she wrote that a long time ago. Yeah, so I'm thinking it's an epilogue to the last book. Which, I mean, we're all intrigued by it. And it was something that very much so she was like, this needs to be in here in the first episode because it's important. And it has to do with the forget-me-not flowers, for sure. That is actually part of it. And we're getting off on a tangent. You realize this is happening. (laughs) I see it happening. Yes, I do. But that is part of it because Diana, they weren't going to put it. They said, how important is it, you know, they weren't going to put it. And she said, oh, well, you're going to have to have that. That becomes important at the end of the series. And so that's going to be tied into it somehow. And she had to show them the end, which is part of that. Mm-hmm. In order for them to realize, yeah, we need to put them there, you know? Well, I guess- and so that's why they're there. Like yeah. that, that was why they stuck with that because she insisted because it's a very mm-hmm. key component to things. So that's going to have something to do with it. There's a lot of theories out there about, yeah. you know, who planted the forget me not. But I don't think it's right. So that's why I'm like, I have my own theory on it, but yeah, I, I love theorizing Diana, all this stuff. I'm the queen yeah. of theories. <laughs> well, Diana has said, she's like, seen some interesting theories, but not one of them has been right. So is what there's a said. lot out there. There's a lot out there. And so I'm I like, know what the, <laughs> so it makes me not even want to try because I'm just like, there's like thousands of theories out there. And if not, yeah. one of them is right. <laughs> God, it's like, God, woman, what are you thinking of? You know? Exactly. <laughs> yes, I know. <laughs> oh, oh, my goodness. Diana is an island unto herself. She comes up yes. with things most people couldn't dream of. So then you asked, how has Jamie yeah. changed from when we met him in season one? From when we um, met him, not where season one ends, but, ends, like, but where yeah. we met him. Okay. In, so I meant just in like personality and like, I just put on here. Stuff. I, this is, I really wasn't sure exactly what to say on that. So mm-hmm. I said, I think Jamie has learned more patience mm-hmm. and understanding and humility because he was kind of cocksure at that time. I oh, think yeah. the whole thing that happened at Wentworth kind of took him down a notch. Yeah. Um, and so I think that's true. And he's learned to take in over time. This isn't 
this isn't immediately that he learned this. It was now compared to now. He's learned over the time to take in all the information before drawing conclusions because he's he's gotten into trouble by not doing that quite a few times. And so now you see him sitting back and like getting all of the input first. You know, you see him starting to do that more than he did when he was younger. Um, he's also become much more enlightened in his thinking and ahead of time because of the influence of his three time traveler pieces right. of family, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's kind of caused him to kind of have go through a little mini enlightenment on his own there. You know what I mean? They want oh. your theory. <laughs> you open the door. You open the door, Chelsea. I feel like I walk through the door or am I just going to peek around the corner? <laughs> um if you ever say, I know, let me just tell you from experience, because I am the one that always says, oh, I have a theory about that. Oh, I have a theory about that. And everybody's like, what's the theory? You <laughs> what's going to happen? Now. You're going to you open the door. That's going to happen on these things. So what's your theory? right, though. So my whole theory is that I think it, and I think that she shot this down before. That's why I don't think it's right. But I guess, okay. if anything, it will tell you what's not going to happen. <laughs> My theory is that it's it was somehow connected to when he was lying almost dead on Culloden afterwards. Mm-hmm. Just because the ghost that they put in there is very similarly dressed in a similar age. Um, and he was just, I almost have a tendency to believe that he almost died for a minute. Like, and that's where yeah, he, that's and that's what I had thought went. too. He wanted to be with Claire so bad and his spirit physically left his body and went to find Claire. And that's kind of my theory on that. But I don't That's what I thought too. And then he saw her on the field walking to him. And so you kind of think like he was thinking of her because that came to him. And so then when he like died and he actually says in the text, I was dead or at least I thought I was you know like whatever. So you kind of think that's like her wink wink nod nod and that when she he saw her walking across the field, it kind of when he did die, he gravitated to that, you know? And wherever she was, and that took him to wherever that was. So I, yeah, that was something I thought too. But apparently, but the not. forget me not. I almost have a tendency to think that, and this is my wag or my wild ass guess. Okay. So Jamie's going to <laughs> die before Claire. Claire is going to take his body back to Scotland and plant the forget me nots so that she finds them in the future and goes back to find them and goes through the stones to him. I like it. So I like that. That's my forget-me-not theory. <laughs> oh, very good. So how has Jamie changed since we met him in season one? I agree with you. I think that he's a much more methodical individual. He was very much shoot first, ask questions later when we first met him. He has been burned multiple times. I agree by that philosophy. Other than the general, like, generic, well, he's matured a lot. Of course he's matured a lot. How many years has this series covered since we met him? Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Season one. Um, he's, he's in his mid fifties now, I think by the end of season six, so 30 plus years that comes with a lot of life experience, but I think that he does actually mature quite a bit through, um, even season one and season two. Like, I think that we can see a definitive change in him from season two. I mean, and I think that loving Claire and having Claire in his life is uh, undoubtedly probably the biggest 
catalyst to the change in his personality because he goes from being responsible for only himself to having someone that he loves more than himself, more than his own life. And so to then have children and have to factor that into the equation, I think that that as your family grows, I mean, naturally that rearranges your priorities a bit. So I think that that's probably the biggest change that we see in him. Most of his motivations in life are to make a better life for his family. So um, yeah, that's kind of what I was thinking on that. Your next little note here is BJR and Wentworth. Such a pleasant topic. Yeah, it's such a pleasant topic. <laughs> that's why I was like, do you want to go now? <laughs> um, yeah, before we get to the dark stuff. Yeah, before um, we get to the meanie stuff. And meanie? I just had, you know, haunting, life-changing, permanent, internal scarring. Oh, yeah. And crushed self-worth and image. It also made him see things in himself that he didn't like. Because there's a part of him that gravitates a little to the violent side of sexuality. You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. he didn't like that. That He realized that in that instance. And he didn't yeah. like that as well. He thought, what does that make me? You know? Yeah. And so it really made him question his own sense of self was a huge, a huge, of course, life change. Yeah. And I think that one of the most fascinating things that I find about everything that happened at Wentworth is how that event not only affected Jamie in the moment, but how it snowballs across the series. And we kind of see the evolution of his acceptance of those events as the series progresses. And we see that through the lens of what happens to our other characters. So by season two, when we see Fergus be assaulted by Blackjack, it's still very raw and fresh for Jamie. And he has a very impulsive and vicious reaction to to what occurs. By the time we get to what happens to Bree in season four, he's he's a bit more philosophical about it. He's like, you know, yeah, in the moment, revenge is what was on the mind. But but really, once you get past that initial anger and fear and frustration over over what you're going through and what you went through physically, you really need to learn to forgive, not for their sake, but for yours. Mm-hmm. And then by what happens to Claire, he's just, I think it still haunts him in a certain respect, but it's far enough behind him that he can understand why she's so emotionally traumatized by what happened, but also how best to maybe help her through it, I guess. He takes a very much a fatherly role towards his advice to Brie and how to handle it, but I think it's interesting to see how he handles it differently with Claire as a partner versus a father. So yeah, I that's the whole thing about Wentworth. And I know I talk about it quite a bit, but it's just, it's not just about what happens in the moment, which is horrible enough and definitely has its immediate repercussions and influence on the plot as far as we see Jamie's PTSD in season two. But yeah. Um, it really goes deeper than that and it stretches yeah. farther than that. Yeah. And I have all the notes under your bullet points. I just was, that was my thought on the original thought. You asked about how does it inform Jamie's initial impression of Lord John? Yes. I, I felt like that was definitely worth discussing because I feel like it's, it's massive. Like people may not see it, but it really is. Right. right. And I said, he, he initially lumps it all into one big bag of pervert, mm-hmm. you know, and he can't equate, John's feelings of love and you know that he has feelings that these homosexual feelings could actually be love um he feels actually incensed at the idea of that 
And it takes Jamie a lot of time to see through the cloud of his own experience because John doesn't fit the rest of the mold of that. That's the only thing, you know? And so it's almost like cognitive dissonance. It doesn't make sense that this guy is also this thing, you know? Additional complications pile on with the idea that that it ends up being that he's not just a sodomite, but he's a trusted friend. And that would be okay even, but then he's also in love with him. So there's like all of these layers of complication that Jamie has to get through and he still manages to get through, which I think is actually saying something for him, you know, oh, because a lot of people would emotional maturity and like, yeah, almost uh... people get very mad, but you got to put yourself in his shoes. Um, yeah, you I know, mean... of how he would, it, how much it took for him to move past everything yeah. that he's conditioned to believe, you know, I mean, in that episode in season three, when John reaches out and touches Jamie in a moment of tenderness that throws Jamie for a loop. Like, he's just like, you take your hand off of me right now. I mean, the last time he was in the room alone with a red coat of any authority over him, look at what happened. And, you know, for Jamie to to be self-confident enough and, like, far enough along in his healing that he can even sit in the same room as someone and have a, a conversation like that. But then to have that whole other level of like sexual tension slash sort of affection going on there. Like you have to have a lot of mental process going on there to mm-hmm. even begin to fathom how Jamie's going to process that. Like I do not at yep. all blame him for how he reacted to that because God, like the things that he went through and to like be able to separate that in your head. Right. Like, these are two completely different situations and two completely different people. And, and it helped him not to lump BJR into just being, a, you know, just like to label him, you know, a sodomite homosexual. And right, that's what he's into it. Diana, it makes him realize, no, 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 that's not the issue. Yeah. This was the issue. You yeah. know what I mean? Like the issue was he had an evil core. Yeah. You know, and, it, and not everybody that is that way has an evil core. You know, now he understands that that's possible. You know, he yeah. didn't think it was possible before. I think you're right. Uh, he's just totally lumped together every sort of homosexual sexual congress together Mm -hmm. into just other Mm -hmm. and wrong and it's that's that's how he's had to like put a divider between it in his head to kind of get past it and I think I think it's probably good that this didn't happen to him earlier on and like he had 10 years or so to to process and heal from it before he had to contemplate the complexity of it I guess Mm -hmm. so and it really does show how truly i mean the fact that he was able to like co-sign him taking care of J- of willie you yeah. know mm-hmm. i mean that is like a huge thing yeah. you got to have a certain amount of serious i mean for jamie to like give like let him have that he had yeah. to have a severe amount of trust oh john yeah. you have a question in what ways do we see ripple effect across the outlander world because of what jamie experiences at the hands of djr Mm-hmm. And I said for him personally, an aversion and repulsion to homosexuality, ongoing severe nightmares, PTSD and hauntings, and having to learn forgiveness. But at the same time, I said it equips him to be able to help those he yeah. loves to cope. It gives him that base of knowledge that then it's not a foreign thing to him when yep. this happens to the people that he loves. And then you had one here, his reactions to Fergus, Claire, and Bree's assault. I said, as these progress, you see a maturity develop because initially his hasty actions result in 
disaster, you know, first with Fergus, you know, because especially because it was BJR, it makes him break his word to Claire. This ends up having disastrous results, you know, with Faith and Claire nearly dying. And and also he's they're forced to leave France, in which case the rising ends up still happening and his name ends up getting on a list that might have not happened if he was there in the midst of it, you know. So it's kind of a lot of different things like snowballed out of that choice. And then with Bree, his hasty actions there a little bit resulted in disaster for Roger because he kind of hit first and asked questions later. But then you do see Jamie break a little bit there and start to talk about forgiveness, like you said, with Bree. And then it all kind of comes to head with Clara's assault, where he uses all he has to help her heal Mm -hmm. and protect her. When philosophy on revenge versus forgiveness, I said he's learned to cope with what happened to him through a constant practice of forgiveness and mercy, which actually starts in book two. But they change that for the show, you know, but in book two, when he has to walk BJR home, they kind of kept him out, put Murtaugh in that scene Mm -hmm. instead in the show. But in the book, that's Jamie. And that was his first act of trying to practice a forgiveness motion, you know, mm-hmm. by trying to get him home safe. But revenge and justice are two different things. And Jamie mm-hmm. explains that later in a later book. Yeah. Forgiveness doesn't replace justice, you know, and it also doesn't replace responsibility. So he still does white people out if he has the white people mm-hmm. out because he's responsible that those people don't, because he's let people go before that bit him in the butt too. If, <laughs> With Bond and everything else, you know, so there is he has to like know when to have mercy and when to show mercy and when to say, no, you need to stop existing now. Yeah, (laughs) we need to wipe the earth of your presence. So there is a balance, but it's not out of revenge. The motivation is different. It's not necessarily out of revenge. It's an it's about justice and making sure that your lack of addressing this doesn't cause future problems down the line. Now, that's the motivation. When he's motivated by just revenge, like he, you know, goes after Roger and all that, <laughs> that's when things kind of get out of control. But, yeah. when, but like in the later books, and as he matures, you see him putting thought and doing things more methodically. Yeah. And I then you have that... killed them all. I said, love that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I feel like he gets so good at imparting advice to people I think that that's like his evolution as a father almost because he does like I mean we've sat here for an hour and a half talking about his life experiences like he has a catalog like he wrote the book on life experience and if you need advice on something you go to Jamie and so I think that that's one thing that is really cool to see about his character as they and and Claire's as they age throughout this series as they really become a sounding board for the younger characters I mean, the difference between justice and revenge is something that I think you come to understand with age. And so for him to be able to even even tell Bree or Roger, we see both conversations in the show, the difference and Claire, and Claire um, the difference and that, look, I've been here and I've done that. And let me just let let me help you skip that that portion of this broadcast. And just get straight to the point. Hasty action's not going to fix anything. It's just going to get you killed. That's what it's going to do. I think that we see that imparted in the way that Brie handles Bonnet. 
Um, and I think that the, especially the kill them all sequence, it, that wasn't necessarily, that was about justice and that was about helping, but it was also about helping Claire because him and Claire have a conversation when they're talking about when they discover that Bonnet is actually still alive and that the reason that he chose not to tell Brie about it was because he's hoping that by not telling her that Bonnet is alive, she can have some measure of peace and a break from constantly plotting her revenge. So yeah, I feel like I feel like those events were were very intertwined in season five, those conversations. Let me address something on the board. Deb says, I remember reading that if Jamie's offer of himself and payment to take care of Willie had been accepted by Lord John, Jamie would not have allowed it, would have killed him, I think. Mm-hmm. No, that's not actually correct. That's actually something that's always misunderstood. So I want to kind of correct that out there. What he said is that he put it out there because he would not be able to tell the real measure of a man until you put body against body and you exchange an intimacy where you can really tell what that man is like. Claire said, and what about if you did that? He took you up in your offer and he wasn't he wasn't what you thought he was. And he said, then I would have killed him, meaning if in that exchange he discovered that the type of man that he was by the way that he was with him. Mm. Um, Diana has made this very clear she says oh no it wasn't just if he would have taken him up on the offer it's if he would have taken him up on the offer and And then through that he revealed his real persona you know if he was like basically like forcing himself and he kind of lost control of himself and he was trying to be whatever or whether it was a different gentleness to him or whatever the case may be and it was a much more of a different yeah. way about him. He said, you can tell a lot about a person once you've been naked with them and you've exchanged this thing. And he said, I knew that I would like, basically he knew he would be able to tell the real underneath person mm-hmm. of what he was putting his son in. And if he would have seen that, he would have known it. And then people even asked her like, what exactly would he have looked for? And she went through a whole list of the type of thing that would have made him say no and mm-hmm. killed him. They would have killed him if he saw that in him, but not right. just for taking him up on the offer. So that's something I think a lot of people misunderstand on that conversation. If you read it closely, that's not what he's saying. He's saying that if when he took him up on it, he revealed himself to be the type of person that he wouldn't put his son in the hands of, then he would kill him. Gotcha. And there was a lot of history under the bridge between him and John oh, yeah. at that point. Oh, yeah. You know, him and John were good friends by that point. So... Uh, He knew what John was and wasn't, but he was, but when he turned him down just flat out, then he knew for sure, like, oh, okay, I I know he wants me desperately. And if he was willing to turn that down, he's even more honorable than I was even giving him credit for to give him the offer to start with. So that's kind of how that went. That's interesting. Okay. Just wanted to clear because there's a lot of things that are out there that that people think that, and um, it's actually not that, not that. No, so. yeah, I mean, I, I'll admit I was one of those people. That's how I read it. So I guess that's just... It is easy to see that way because you have to kind of look at it semantically. Yeah, She's I not mean, saying it that everybody way. Everybody interprets things differently. That's that's right. the problem with a book. The, the problem, quote unquote, with a book <laughs> is like when you read something, inflection and like things are put into it differently for every single person so one Mm -hmm. sentence could mean something completely different to two different people so if i can i'll pull up a diana deep where she talks about that and then i'll post it for you guys on the kill them all i said i love that that was a little bit of red jamie for sure but let's Mm -hmm. not forget the fraser temper is a force when it's in full swing but it was also protection and justice yeah 
Uh, I that scene was so interesting to me. Like, I felt like Sam did such a good job in that scene of portraying every single side of Jamie, because you see his tenderness and his affection and his concern for Claire, but you also see that dark side of him that he keeps reined in so well, 90% of the time, just lurking under the surface of, and I like, I described it in my podcast as if I could skin you alive right now, just for the hell of it, I would like, it's that side of him. Like, so I think mm-hmm. Sam does such a good job of, I mean, he is a man of blood, you know, yeah, he I is. mean, he, you know, he yeah. does have the red thing. I mean, that is part of him. He has that um, nickname for a reason. Yes. Absolutely. It's not just something that somebody was like, you know, I think that's a good name. We should just call him that. Like, no, like he has reason for being called that from season two on. Like it's very apt description for both his personality and, you know, acts that he has committed in the course of war and justice and his life in general. Does Jamie believe the future can be changed? Why or why not? I think that has progressed and changed over time. Mm -hmm. My personal opinion on this. And I think it's actually a major reason why season two and the whole, the whole thing that happened was mattered. You know, Um, I think at this point currently, you know, he thinks you can impact your role in it. You can impact whether or not it affects your family, Mm -hmm. but I kind of feel like he understands at least for sure in the books at this point, he understands that you can't, change big historical events and i think what happened was with culloden and the rising he learned that very valuable lesson not to try to change history so that they can't be blamed for it because i think there's a little part of it that niggles at jamie and claire whether their actions is what actually brought the rising to pass Mm -hmm. you know what i mean yeah what brought the rising and not the rising to pass but the loss to pass because in trying to stop it did they frustrate the money so that they didn't have it when they needed it when they went? Did their actions of trying to stop it bring those results to pass that made history? There's an incredible guilt. They both always kind of harbor over that. And so from I think from that point forward, they learned a very valuable lesson that, you know, we're never going to do that again. Yeah. We're never going to try to wholesale change major things like that. You did see him try to like send, you know, you used um, elements. And I said for that, he understood history and tried to like maybe send Roger to get them to pull back. But he didn't have a whole lot of faith in it, you know, yeah. but he still tried. But he still operated the way he needed to operate, you know, from yeah. that point forward. And now I'm doing elements different because I think in Alamance's book, but even in the show, mm-hmm. you know, they tried, he tried. Because it was his godfather. Right. But then by the time we get to this Cherokee, that was your other point, telling the Cherokee about the Trail of Tears. I think at that point, he knows, he accepts like, this is going to happen. You know, my wife and my daughter said it's going to happen. It can't be avoided. You need to try to work around it with your people. He's getting now like, accept this is going to be. And just maneuver yourself around the situation. That's the best you can do, mm-hmm. you know, rather than try to wholesale change things. Because then in, the, in, in effect, you could be the one that's the blame. Yeah. And I don't think they ever want that burden on their soul. Because every time they hear about her horrors that happened in Scotland after Culloden, there's a little piece of both of them inside that thought that thinks, did we bring that to pass? Yep. Is this our fault somehow? And so there's a little weight of guilt that they, they both carry over that. 
So I 100% agree that, yeah, I I think for sure the reason that season two and the events leading up to the Jacobite Rising of 45 had to happen is so that by the time we get in these later seasons, we understand why they're taking the actions that they are. And I do think that very deeply, Jamie and Claire question their actions looking back on them just because you're right. Like, okay, so by fighting so hard to undermine Charlie, did we really cause the money to not be there when it was going to be there? And Mm -hmm. if the money had been there, then they probably would have had very different results. So I think that that really weighs on them. And then... So every time he sees a child burned out of their croft or mm-hmm. here's these people losing their life or or here's about, you know, Gavin Hayes, you know, well, yeah. you know, like I've re- just started reading drums and here's about, you know, like his wife and his, his child probably died on the thing. You kind of see this sense of, because uh, I just did that first chapter, mm-hmm. um, you kind of see this sense of like heavy heartedness all the time mm-hmm. and both of them when they refer to it because they think you know is that another soul on my yep on my tally if we are end up right. being the ones at the bottom of this you know yeah. um so you know they just never want to be in that position they never want to be the cassandra you know or yep. whatever that you know exactly. that causes it and i think as for alamance especially with how things went on the show for alamance i don't really think that jamie acted out of a, a sense of needing to change the future i think that he had roger go after Murta because he couldn't live with himself knowing that he didn't try even if he knew it was a futile effort at least he put the effort in and did everything that he could do and roger said at least you leave then save yourself you know um you know if you can't you're gonna lose here i'm telling you you're gonna lose you know i know know but we fight that murder murder's like then we fight though you know but um you know roger was trying to like make him go look dude at least save yourself for your godson's sake you know for the people that love you you know right but by the time we get to season six and the whole events with the cherokee i think that they've they've really reached a happy medium so to speak on um how to approach the kind of like using their knowledge of the future to inform their decisions. They're not necessarily trying to influence major events, but giving people the tools that they need to avoid catastrophe, I guess. So that's what we saw with Chief Bird giving the weapons to the Native Americans and giving them the information on the Trail of Tears. I don't know if you, well, you probably, you might know, but I don't know if everybody here knows. That's actually a true story. The um, Snowbird Cherokee were one of the very few tribes that, and I don't know if it wasn't necessarily Chief Bird, but it was the Snowbird tribe, the one that he's supposed to be the chief The one of. that this Cherokee band is based on. In, yeah, in based on. Yes. Actually escaped the Trail of Tears by hiding in the mountains. So Diana took that whole incident and that story and made it that the reason that they did that and didn't follow the, the crowd to go on the Trail of Tears mm-hmm. is because of this little hint that they got from Jamie Fraser. Yeah. Like she does that, you know, takes the the real history. And then if it's unknown why they did something like she makes her story, make the reason that it happened. And so that actually happened, you know, that this one little band or a couple little bands hid in the mountains and escaped this whole journey that they were lied to, to go to this place. So I thought that was interesting. I just wanted to let you know, like that actually did happen. Mm-hmm. And he did 
pass down that advice or parently, you know, through the ages and it ends up being part of history that they saved our tribe, you know, by hiding in the mountains, you know, Jamie's like, you know, hide, go hide, you know? And so they do. So I I thought, I thought that's a neat story. This morning, I just watched Allegiance 602. Jamie's really torn by, by what to do with the Native Americans and how much of his knowledge to, to give them and how to use the knowledge that he has to best effect. And I think that's one of the biggest things that Jamie struggles with, especially as we get into the revolution with his character, because he knows how things end up, but how, how do you navigate the minefield and how do you still manage to do what's right and like be able to sleep at night when, yeah, maybe doing what's best for you really screws over a lot of other people. And I think that's really what he, he struggles with, especially with the Native Americans, is that by helping the revolution along, he's really inhibiting their ability to protect themselves. I think coming to that decision was, was really interesting. And I love how Claire's like, well, whatever you decide, you'll, you'll do the right thing. That's what I was saying about before. Like she always has this utter confidence that Jamie will figure it out, you know, and it's finally that the show is actually showing that because they don't like to show that, you know, they like to show that that Claire comes up with everything. They're finally giving Jamie his due of having a brain, which I'm happy to see. (laughs) And I love that with his character, they're willing to show a strong male lead, but also that strong male lead leaning into the life experiences of the people around him and not just necessarily being like, this is my decision and I'm making it come hell or high water. Like Mm -hmm. it's Ian that influences him into this decision. And I just... I really like that aspect of Jamie that he's he's always very willing to take in all the information and make an informed decision. And I think that's probably why nine times out of 10, especially later on in the series, it is the right decision is because it's not a hasty judgment. Anyway, got a little off topic, but I think that's probably stuff we were going to cover later anyway. <laughs> so I'm wondering, since our next topic is kind of like post season if maybe we should split it here? Yes. I think that's a wise choice. I don't know when you can do it again, but I will make myself available for you as much as I can. As much as I can juggle. Anyway, so yeah, I mean, lots of Outlander related stuff coming up. And we're getting into my favorite bits of R&B, Artsmere, and Hellwater. And so I definitely want to be able to spend time. That's why I said, yes, let's stop here because I could see that just those two chunks taking an hour, you know? So for sure. Between (laughs) Artsmere, Hellwater, and Edinburgh, I can see that easily taking an hour. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, a lot of layers to our Jamie Fraser. He definitely Mm -hmm. is her onion character for sure. You know, lots of, lots of layers, big fat ass onion. I feel like he's, lots like, of lots of layers. He's, he's a reverse onion. I feel like he's getting bigger as he gets older. Yeah. <laughs> for sure. <laughs> All right, girl. Well, I'm All right, I'll here. look for that. If you guys on the yeah. board, I will look for that Diana Deet and I will post yes. it for you guys. I um, love Diana Deets. So we'll do that. And I just way you guys can see. Yes, for sure. And Angela and I will get together and come up with a time to do our part two episode. Hope you guys enjoyed what we did so far in this conversation. It's been a lot of fun. I've enjoyed it. Yeah. I wish I could have been part of the the Roger one. 
Yeah. Uh, I would have liked to have chipped in on that one. I would have been all, woohoo, Roger. I feel uh, like. Or, or Lord John. Have you done a Lord John one yet? Mm-mm. No. Um, I've got a whole list of characters. Some of them I'm waiting until after season Although, seven. Although they haven't done enough with him on the show. If it's all really going to be show, then That's I guess there's I'm, not much to I've say. I've got a list of characters, but a lot of them I want to wait until after season seven to talk about. Yeah, it makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah. I'm, I really. Think- I can't wait for Willie next season. I'm, I'm so, so excited. excited. <laughs> I'm like, oh my God. And I, I just am- remember, I just want to like give everybody that's a show only person. Okay. Remember what we're saying about young Jamie and some of the mistakes he made and some of his being, you know, rash over rash, and- rash yeah. acting and things like this. Even the king of men did these things when he was in his early 20s and his late teens and all that stuff. So let's not be all harsh on William. Yes, very important to remember that when we met Jamie in Outlander, he was 22, almost 23, something like that. And when we see William again, he's 18. So he's got four or five years of growth on where we met Jamie in Outlander. Yep. He's very much a teenager. And he's very boy. much like, you know, bright eyed, bushy tail, wanting to, you know, take on the world, yes. you know, be the big soldier, all that kind of like he has that that same way Jamie was in, in university. That's yes. the mentality he's in at that time. And he mm-hmm. was a little pain in the ass in university. Big cockiness, you know, thought his shit didn't stay. You know, he had this whole kind of mentality when he was in university. Um, that we find out about. He was no like he is now. He takes a while to mature to that. So just give Willie a break. Let's not be bashing Willie when the show starts because, you know, he's not walking perfectly like Jamie Fraser. I'm rereading Echo right now. And when I Mm -hmm. first started, so Echo, for those of you that don't know, and Echo and the Bone is the seventh book in the Outlander series. And it is what season seven is largely going to be based off of. So I'm rereading that now. And when I first read it, it has a tendency to kind of come off weird um, when you first read it, because it's got several different timelines jumping around. Um, They all kind of come into a linear fashion by the end of the book. But um, especially at the beginning, things are kind of happening at weird times. And then you add in quite Mm. a few new characters. So it's it's a different flavor, let's put it that way, than than the other I love the it. first six books. I was not fond of it when I first read it, but when I'm rereading it, I'm finding it hard to remember what I didn't like about it. So um, just kind of keep and that I, in mind. And I'll it's, tell you another thing. If anybody wants to read, and I'll say this to you too, Chelsea, I did a study mm-hmm. on Echo and Moby on Outlander Cast Clan Book Club, and all of those are there. And we really went deep and we talked about a lot of really cool things. I brought in a lot of Diana Deeds to enlighten things and so forth. So I would say to you too, Chelsea, you know, as you're going through and reading it, check out what we did on that because I think you'd really like it. You know, it it has some cool things that we bring out that are like, whoa, you know. Um, So like I know that our our people were all like, and some of them are here, can tell you that we really kind of had some revelations in that book that you don't see. I was talking to uh, Veronica. Veronica is a mutual friend of mine and Angela's. So before Beast came out, I made it about a third of the way through reading, like listening to your guys's 
chats or whatever. I'm getting back to the point where I left off. So I'm planning on going back and rewatching those and leaving comments. So I'm sure you'll get inundated with all of my comments. I love when you leave your comments. <laughs> I told Veronica, Chelsea's gonna... comments on my lives are the best. They're always so insightful. Of course, it's Chelsea, right? They're always so insightful. And I love, I love when I like, so when somebody goes back and watches, cause they're all just so you know, if you ever go, if you go over there, you go to the events page and you roll down the back events, the past events, and you'll see all the different studies and the iterations of different chapters and all that stuff. And I can always tell like when somebody pulls up one of the old ones, you know, that I'm not currently doing and starts to do it because all of a sudden my whole inbox gets flooded with all of these comments on like lord john or you know yeah. echo or something that is like way in the band I'm like oh and i always go back and still read them and i have to time my comment back and then all of a sudden all these old studies are going up the feed because yeah. <laughs> they're getting pulled back up you know yeah um so it's always fun because it gives me kind of the thrill to know okay that work is still being yeah seen and appreciated and stuff it's not just like a that one and done type of thing so i kind of loved having people pull, pull yeah. up the old stuff for sure um and it gets circulation for your old stuff too because it pops up in the book club just like here it is yeah. this live that we did yeah but i mean kelsey always has great insights and i always enjoy reading your comments you're like um salim is another one that i love reading her comments because she's a psychologist like yeah psychologist yeah and so she always has all this deep psychological insights and stuff you know <laughs> on there you know and giving me all For of these sure. like theories of what this example what the example of this is and all this so i love reading hers too in a data way and i bring i'll drop a dime Alrighty, guys. Well, we will let you know for sure when we decide to do the part two. We'll give you a little bit of heads up. We're not going to spring it on you because we're both busy too. So we've got schedules to try to cram it into. So I will post the details whenever we come up with a date. Thanks for having me again, Chelsea. Yeah. I always have a good time. It's always a blast. I'll see you guys in two weeks. Bye. Bye.